What we have done is we have come up with a technology and an approach that allows Facebook to control their data inside their walls and for us to have these experiments that are completely respecting of consumer privacy. We don't actually have any PII data, no consumer data that we touch, yet we're able to understand the impact of those investments on business outcomes. Hello and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey there, Madan, and thank you for coming on the show. Super excited to have you here today. And for everyone in the audience who doesn't know who you or what Measured is, can you give us the quick 60-second overview of Measured? Absolutely. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for having me. My name is Madan Baradwaj. I, I grew up in the industry as a data scientist many years back and then eventually took on more senior roles. And about five years back, six years back, I started working on this thing called incremental incrementality or incremental measurement for marketing. And about four years back, I launched a startup at a, at a friend of mine, Trevor Testweed, and it's called Measured. And uh, we're basically a marketing measurement company. But fundamentally, what we do is we help marketers make smart, data-driven marketing investment decisions. So that's what we're about. That's fascinating. And I know when we spoke before, you kind of really went into the depth of this problem for, you know, direct-to-consumer brand, whether it's... I mean, it's just the the marketing landscape and the technology is just getting so complicated these days where you've got, right. you know, Facebook ads, you've got Twitter ads, you've got LinkedIn ads, you've got Google ads, you've got like uh, all these things, you've got <laughs> organic social posts and like, and it's like, okay, so what is, you know, email marketing, all these things and like, what's actually driving the revenue? Where should you invest yeah. the money? And if I'm correct, that's what you guys, your platform is trying to solve. Right. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We're, we think of ourselves as a investment decisioning platform for marketers, figuring out where to invest their advertising dollars to have the maximum bang for buck, maximum impact for their brands in terms of outcomes that they can drive for their business. Yes, that's exactly what we do. And you're right. You know, the marketing technology landscape is, you know, incredibly complex. I've been in ad tech, martech for, I think, what, 15, 16 years now. And, it, 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 you know, it was reasonably sophisticated and cool back in 2004 five time frame now it's like like a giant industry with a lot of players i think the last it was like something like 10,000 20,000 companies uh, in startups and big companies small companies in the space it's a crowded landscape it's very hard for marketers to understand what technologies are meaningful what should they use what should they focus on it's very hard to wrangle and sort of wrap their arms around the entire landscape right now and it's a moving target too. I would say there is a future in which it's very simple, but the present is still pretty complicated. Yeah. 
Yeah, I believe it. And, and I think the uh, the interesting thing, while hopefully it gets simpler, I think the, the benefit for you guys as a business is it's not simple. And I think there's just more channels now. It's like, oh, cool, TikTok. That wasn't a thing two years ago. And now there's a whole other channel to integrate into your guys' platform. So it's, I, I guess, how do you guys keep up with that? Or, or for you guys, as you're thinking about this as a platform, how are yeah. you kind of even prioritizing what features, what integrations to do in this really large, you know, ever-growing yeah. landscape? Yeah, great question. There's good and bad about this. Uh, the, the good about it is that we focus on a particular segment of the market. We were mostly focused on the segment of e-commerce called DTC, direct-to-consumer brands. These are typically smaller brands, emerging brands that are focused on a handful of SKUs as opposed to a Macy's or a uh, or a Amazon, which have thousands and millions of SKUs, we're talking about a Dollar Shave Club or a Fafit Fun or a, other brands that are focused on a handful of um, SKUs. And uh, therefore, they go to markets kind of much more narrow and much, much more sort of tailored. Uh, so our clients tend to be sort of invested heavily in probably four or five channels, but they're constantly looking to diversify, but they're either sort of digitally native brands that were born on Instagram and Facebook and grew up uh, on that in that front, or they're more sort of like traditional brands that grew up on direct mail and catalog, and they're looking to kind of become more digital. So they have a concentration in one or the other, and they're trying to add new channels like OTT and podcast to the mix, uh, but they're trying to sort of experiment their way into diversification, which is kind of where we come to play. We, we can help them measure the efficacy of the current investments, help them understand the scale that they could potentially get on the current investments, and also help them diversify and find other investments that could potentially belong in their portfolio and help them sort of like get more, you know, reduce the concentration risk and sort of like, and help them grow in a much more sort of uh, balanced way, so to speak. That makes sense. And, and I know one of the things we chat about before a bit as well with all this is what you guys are doing is it's extremely complex and there's there's so much data and there's so much there's the the tactical aspect of just making the integrations and getting the data but then it's like okay what do you do with the data yeah. and i know we discussed a bit about how you guys have kind of a managed service arm in addition right. i guess to the software arm and i'm curious how you guys balance that as a company yeah i mean the great question jake and in, in fact we we call this in internally we call this the measurement trap so, you know, it's very hard as, and especially as analytics folks, as measurement folks, we think, you know, we want to get the best quality of measurement as possible. But actually, when you flip it and you look at it from the, the world through a marketing lens, as, as though a marketer is looking at the data, it turns out the most important thing is the data has to be good enough to make good decisions, right? But, you know, it, it, there is kind of a curve, you know, the, 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 the cost of getting good measurement and the quality of measurement is kind of a saturation curve. You know, you put enough effort, you can rapidly improve the quality of measurement, and then it'll plateau. Then you won't get any more quality for all the effort you put in. So what we want to be is we, we want to be on top of that, of that plateau. But, you know, so help them make the best quality decisions with the best possible measurement at an affordable cost, right, type of thing. So our focus has been more decision sciences focused is helping them make better investment decisions and marketing. And what, what is the data that's necessary? What is the measurement that is necessary for you to make better decisions, better investment decisions on your advertising is kind of how we focus on. So that is the, the, the thesis that is the, the framework and the philosophy for the company, which is decisioning first measurement to support decisioning as opposed to the other way around, right? That's number one. 
number two uh, is that what we find, we, we absolutely need good technology for us to even have a chance to play in this market. So we've spent, I, I've, I've been spending about two, three years before starting the company, researching the space, and we've spent a good four years building the technology. But even with all this effort and technology, we still need a good layer of managed services to help the clients interpret the data, be their trusted analytics consultant to help them, you know, think through their decision matrix and help make good decisions. And sometimes the, the, the measurement is really strong and you can make a really strong investment decision. In other cases, the measurement comes out to be weak, right? But you still have to make a decision. So we help them sort of like, you know, walk into the, the optimal decisions in a, in a sort of a, you know, stepwise fashion so that say, you know what, why don't you, as opposed to making a full investment decision here, make a half an investment decision, go towards the optimal, see how it, how the, how the uh, market responds, uh, and then sort of walk towards what might be the most optimal. So that requires a certain level of consulting. And so definitely our services, our product comes with a fair amount of really top quality marketing consulting services. We have, I, I want to think, probably the world's best marketing analytics consultants and uh, clients really benefit from having somebody on the other side, helping them think through the data strategy, data marketing strategy, and uh, you know, make the best possible decisions given what they're learning through, through data. Nice. I love that. And I love that framework on you know decisions first, measurement to support decisions. And I think that that applies to so many companies where it's so easy to tr- just kind of get caught up in the, the weeds of what it is you do. And forgetting really what actually matters and like what's the impact you're making for your clients. And it's it's almost ironic. Your company is called Measured, but it almost could, could be, should be called like Decide or something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, yeah. it's it's I think it's something that so many people can learn from where you get caught up in the weeds of it. And really, you got to remember that everything you do is to support some outcome for your clients. And how, how do you kind of keep that top of mind or drive that culturally uh, as, a, as a leader? Yeah. I, you know, two parts about it. One, it's it's not easy, right? I mean, it's it's hard to do. I'll just come up uh, up front and say that it's not something we've fully figured out. But it's a lot of education, evangelism, and sort of like training is probably the best answer to this, right? We have to educate the marketplace around how to think about this problem. So, you know, we are measurement experts. We've been thinking about this for 10, 15 years. Most of my sort of my uh, leaders in the company have spent north of a decade in marketing measurement. So we bring tons of experience to the table. So when we speak about something, we've clients on the other side, you know, kind of know that we've kind of gone through all these paths with all these toe stubs and experience to speak from, right? So that gives us sort of a leg up, number one. Uh, but two, though, it's still a lot of advocacy, a lot of evangelism on the approach of decisions first, measurement supporting the decisions as opposed to I want the best possible measurement, right? Before I want to, you know, sort of boil the ocean and get the 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 uh, meaning of life first. Then I want to figure out if I should like you know, eat breakfast or lunch, right? No, it doesn't work like that, right? You kind of have to like figure out what you eat and then figure out what you need to sort of drive your decisions, to, so to speak. So it's still a, a lot of it is evangelism and advocacy, but it, uh, we've done a lot of good quality thinking. There's a lot of intellectual capital and a body of knowledge we've built up, at least in the last six years, definitely, but even going back many years before that. So we speak from that body of knowledge about best practices that we've seen and the outcomes we've had for other clients uh, and, the, you know, in general, what the literature talks about in terms of decision sciences and uh, work in progress, honestly. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's and I imagine yeah, the, the internal cultural thing is always a, a battle. I know when I had my video agency, it was you have these amazing technology people that just want to go so deep into the tech, and like at the end of the day, they just care that it looks cool. Uh, you know, so it's a fascinating thing there. I, I love yeah. that. And and so, how much of your business is would you say is managed service versus like the software? Do you even kind of measure that, or are all the deals kind of packaged together, or or yeah, how sure. do you kind of we we sell together? the deals like a SaaS platform uh, deal? So it's always annual contracts. One fee is a SaaS fee. The services are packaged into that, so we don't break it out on purpose, uh, of course. So that you know, we, we we're a young company, but we're very focused on. We didn't raise any money. It's very bootstrapped. It's kind of a, a classic way to build a company, which is to like you know, make sure your customers pay your bills as opposed to some mm-hmm. investor or VC, so to speak. So it's it's always been about customers first and serving customer needs and whatnot. But you know the the point is that therefore the 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 scope of services are always moving, and we don't really want to build people for hours and stuff like that. It just doesn't work because of course it, it'll be too expensive for them. Uh, and secondly, I think uh, the same deals that we today, the, the kind of quality of people that we bring to our projects today, I mean, we could sell the same projects to an Amex or a Citibank or a you know, a Honda or a Toyota for, you know, millions of dollars, typically how it's done. It's a world that I came from, a lot of my leaders came from. But we're trying a different thing here. We want to take the same level and quality of intellectual capital and product and technology and and make it accessible to DTC brands, right? Brands that are 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars trying to double, triple, quadruple their business over the next four or five years. It's accessible. It's possible. But if we, you know, turn it into a services company, it's just not possible to do that. We have to do it in a scalable platform, SaaS platform sort of approach for delivery, which is our, we've made a significant amount of progress there. And we feel like we've sort of turned the corner in many, many areas, but that's how we go to market as a SaaS platform. Nice. That's super fascinating. Love, love hearing this. And and so I guess, you know, we, we've talked a lot about kind of where you guys are at today. One of the quick things I want to do is like, what was your background that like kind of led up to this? I know you sounds like you came from data science. So maybe what was that path? And maybe like, let's go to the origin story of like when <laughs> measured began and like, yeah. and what was that jump like from whatever, what you were doing prior to this to when you actually launched uh, measured? Yeah. Yeah. A quick sort of 30 seconds of context. I, I sort of went to school for computer science. A lot of machine learning research as part of that academic background. Then I went on to work for companies primarily. This was way back in the early 2000s where the word data science was yet to be born. So we did what we would think of as research or science or machine learning and so on and so forth. The word data science was still not yet sort of founded, so to speak. Uh, and then I ended up having a chance to work in ad tech. At that time, uh, majority of the big brains in ad tech was on the publisher side. Google's and uh, this, at that time Yahoo and MSN, those were the guys hiding the big brains. Everybody wanted to work there, so did I. For whatever reason, I ended up on the other side of the ad tech spectrum, which is the we call the buy side, which is people who buy the media, the marketing side. So I ended up working for a company called Aegis, which is a big agency. I worked in a technology unit within uh, within Aegis. I worked a lot on search and display and attribution and a lot of data science there. And whatnot. So I you know, walked into ad tech, into measurement, and that in that place, and eventually kind of built a, a career in ad tech, martech, mostly on measurement, mostly on advanced marketing measurement, right? So a couple of years before starting <clears throat> Measured, I was an independent attribution consultant, a measurement consultant in market, and I was trying to service brands. And I used to be working with big brands like Amexis and 
uh, Honda, Toyota, AT&T, Verizon, those kind of brands, giant, huge Fortune 10 brands, right? So, and then became an independent consultant and started working with smaller brands like the Grubhubs and a bunch of other DTC brands. And it turned out that the world looked entirely different than from this vantage point in market compared to that vantage point, right? The whole, the, the media mix that they had, how they went to market, the kind of data you had access to, the processes, the, the, the whole organizational structure, how they made decisions, very, very different. And the deals were much smaller too. So all these things I had done all these years working for big brands didn't apply. So I had no other choice just as a function of having to put food on the table. I had to innovate my way to a paycheck. And I sort of like started working on experiments as a way to measure marketing. I mean, simple idea. Do an A-B test, understand what's the impact of, of marketing. And I started designing these A-B tests, running these A-B tests, and it felt like, you know, a project that I thought should take like a month, take me six months designing an experiment, getting everybody to buy in on it, and then putting the infrastructure to ca- collect the data, making sure the execution of the experiment itself doesn't get messed up, then coming back and quality controlling everything, and then kind of like pulling up all the reports, and then coming back and telling them, hey, you know what? The investment you made six months back, it was it gave you this return. And they were like, it's six months back, you idiot. We don't care what happened six months back. <laughs> what, did, what happened yesterday? I'm a DTC brand. I'm not Amex. I don't care. I'm not doing studies here. You know, my my brands are moving every month. We're growing 30%, right? We, we Six months is like eons ago for us. So it became obvious to me that I had to build a whole you know, shit ton of technology for this even be viable for me to build. So eventually I started building technology and it become more and more and more viable. And about four years back, a good friend of mine, <clears throat> he was about, he was back in market. He was trying to look for his next, he was a CEO for a different company. And uh, he got pretty excited about what I was doing. So we partnered up to launch Measured uh, and then, you know, continued to invest in the technology side to build up Measured. But fundamentally the idea of the, 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 the reason why we exist is there used to be something called multi-touch attribution, where you could you would go track a user using a third-party cookie and say, I'm going to drop a cookie on Facebook, drop a cookie on AdWords. Every place you go, I'm going to track the consumer using third-party cookies. And then we would go run algorithms to figure out how much credit for an eBay transaction that you had. If you bought shoes on eBay, you saw some ads on CNN, some on Facebook, some on uh, Google, what is a fractional credit you deserve? It turns out that with the GDPR and CCPA and, and sort of data restrictions and whatnot, the entire third-party cookie ecosystem has disappeared, right? So this whole thing just went up in, in flames. And so, but the business problem of making, you know, good investments and driving good business outcomes through marketing, I mean, it's obviously still there. People are still trying to grow their businesses by investing in advertising. And so we're trying to solve the same business problem using a completely different approach through experimentation as opposed to tracking. Nice. That's fascinating. And it's, it's incredible to hear just again, how long you've been in this and the whole journey and how this has evolved. And which I guess leads to me the question of like, where do you see, I guess, marketing measurement going in the future? Like, what do you think is coming down the pipeline or what changes? I know there's talk of GDPR type regulation in the USA and everything like that. And so like, what are your, what are your thoughts on where this is all going? Yeah, so uh, in the two, two parts to this, there is uh, data, what's going to happen to consumer data in the context of marketing, and then what happens to marketing and data-driven, what, what happens to measurement and data-driven marketing as a result, right? So privacy from a data and privacy perspective, obviously the privacy worlds are all going up pretty fast. 
There's a lot of moving moving pieces to that. But from a measured perspective, we have a particular viewpoint, a POV on that space. There is basically three sort of three corners of a triangle. One is consumer privacy, right? It's what obviously everybody cares about. We talk about it in the public domain. And then there is the, I would say, uh, measurability, right? How can, can it do marketing measurement? And third is targeting, right? So third targeting is basically you, Facebook targets you and Google targets you and whatnot, right? Marketers, if you go back 50 years, it's a big Wanamaker quote that says, you know, half my marketing works, half my marketing doesn't. I just don't know which half works, right? So you have to spend 100% because you can't optimize it. Now, that's the big problem we've always had. We continue to have, right? And for the most part in the last 20 years, targeting has solved a big chunk of that which is kind of why there's these millions of DTC brands being born, because they can take a small budget, experiment their way into where demand is, and really grow their business in a very test-learn-grow, agile, very capital-efficient way, as opposed to a CPG company dumping a giant TV campaign, spending millions of dollars, making a big splash, and you know, selling through you know, all the Walmarts and whatnot. Right? It's a very different way to go to market. right? And that's why we have so many of these brands that are born. It's a very new way of going to going to market for P2C brands. Now, targeting uh, is in- incredibly efficient, creates a lot of, removes transaction costs from the economy. It's a fantastic thing. But, you know, it comes at the cost of consumer privacy today, right? Now, and, and marketers, on the other hand, they want to invest in their dollars in a way that's most efficient. So there are three kind of corners that, that become placed. And I think there's a good equilibrium. The equilibrium is that when you go to Facebook, and you browse in Facebook and you give permission explicitly as a consumer, you say, Facebook, you have permission to market to me because that's kind of what you're saying, right? And Facebook then has permissions to target you on their platform. When you're on Facebook, they can serve you ads and it's safe because that that is the value exchange as a consumer, right? Now, for us to measure the marketing as an advertiser, we had to put third-party pixels and third-party measurement, which means that you're giving up the consumer data to third parties outside of Facebook so that is support measurement. What we have done is we have come up with a technology and an approach that allows Facebook to control their data, which is inside their walls, and for us to have these experiments that are completely respecting of consumer privacy. We don't actually have any PII data, no consumer data that we touch, yet we're able to understand the impact of those investments on business outcomes, right? So there is a way to get all the concerns properly balanced. Consumers get to keep their data private, inside environments that they've given permission to, which is the the, the, the properties like Pandora and uh, YouTube and Facebook. It's saying, if you use their service, you're giving them permission to market. So that's okay. And in your, inside Facebook, Facebook can target you. So Facebook can optimize uh, how effectively they can target you against your behaviors. And we, which as a measurement companies, we can measure the impact of advertising without having to touch any consumer private data, any privacy sensitive data, right? So we've kind of achieved that balance. It's very early. We've been in market, a young company for four years, but we believe that is the market equilibrium that will come to stay. We believe that uh, it is possible to maximize all three and get the best of all worlds, allows consumers to feel safe, allows publishers to target efficiently and advertisers to invest uh, in a way that is uh, auditable against their outcomes. Yes, I love that. That's a fascinating framework. Incredible to, incredible to hear that perspective. And you are in the weeds of it, you can tell. So that is amazing. So as we final up, as we wrap up the last question here on the show that we always like to ask is, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, if you were to go back, you know, yeah. five, 10 years before you started Measured and give yourself advice, what advice would you give yourself to that person who's about to go out and start their company? Um, 
Good question. So I uh, I put this in practice. So I speak from sort of experience, firsthand experience. Uh, as an entrepreneur, right? As a when I was an independent entrepreneur, uh, sort of independent consultant, um, trying to build a practice. For some reason, I've uh, always tried to figure out if I can actually make something that's valuable before I go raise money, right? It's uh, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of investors as well, and half the time they're talking about entrepreneurs specifically about who they're raising money with. We'll sit in a, a partner conversation. Half their meeting will be about who the VC is, the whole fundraising process, and who the, the, the partner is on the board, blah, blah, And we've still, I mean, it's been 40 minutes, and we still haven't gotten to what you're doing in market, who are your customers, what are you selling, how you support business problems, and what happens. And very quickly, it's all just becomes about a game of just raising more money and raising more money and raising more money. It's, and then eventually you kind of work yourself into a job in your own company. So I, having gone through this, this boat rodeo a couple of times, it was clear to me. I'm going to first figure out what it is that I'm actually making that is actually worthwhile, that I feel is actually worthwhile doing, right? So I spent a couple of years in market figuring out this incrementality measurement framework. Once I had some confidence and actually had paying clients, I just continued to go down the path. We never raised money. We said, okay, we have paying clients. We'll just eat what we kill, right? We continue sort of bootstrapping the company and we still have four years and we still haven't raised money. That's an important thing for entrepreneurs to you know, not get into this game of like, you know, I'm 41 at this point. So it's not like I'm a 25-year-old, you know, you know, a guy who's doing an app on Facebook or some grocery app or something like that. I'm hoping it'll become a big hit and make millions of dollars. This is a job. I have a family. We have two mortgages and we're going to pay for all that. So it's a very different approach to building businesses, which is to actually build a business as opposed to, you know, pretend to build a business by raising money, right? So at number one, I would say, uh, figure out, you know, what you're doing, what your value prop is, and actually build whatever it is that you're going to build and see if it actually works in market before you actually raise money. And that's the discipline, I believe, the number one thing I've learned uh, in, this, in this whole thing. Number two thing after that, I would say, a very in, uh, interesting is that culture is such an incredible force multiplier inside a company. Uh, we, both me and my co-founder, we strongly believe in a very transparent and ownership-driven culture. And uh, we have, you know, obviously, in, in, we are an innovative company. We are building something that's never been done before. So everybody has to innovate. Everybody from the, every every single person in the company has to do something that is new, that hasn't, hasn't been tried before. So we have to give everybody permission to fail, permission to try new things and you know, ownership so that they don't feel like they've got to do exactly what we tell you. We tell you what our objective is. You go figure out how to conquer that hill over there, right? And so, and there's only so many people in the company. So everybody has way more work than it's possible time in the in the day to do. Uh, so we very strongly believe in a positive culture that is, you know, very servant leadership culture. And culture has been a huge multiplier. And having worked in multiple places, I would say that it's still very undervalued. Uh, the, the effect of a strong culture on the the black and white, the business goals that you might have, the enterprise value and the profitability and all that stuff, so strongly tied to the kind of culture that you end up building. And culture is this fuzzy, like, you know, amorphous thing, but the business metrics are black and white. But I still, it's it's been such an uh, eye-opening thing about 
what you can do together as a team and you come together and work together towards a mission and you have a clean a company with no politics and sort of like everybody pulls together in the same direction, it is a phenomenal thing to feel. Uh, I still feel pretty proud about the people I work with on a daily basis. Uh, and I've been working places with really bad culture. So I know <laughs> how destructive it is for enterprise value. <laughs> and I've also worked in like in okay cultures and cultures that went from good to bad and stuff like that and how it kind of destroyed culture, uh, value along the way. I think as 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 a sort of a little bit of a grown up entrepreneur, if you're uh, you know, I would say that as hard as it is, if you practice good values, I think it's hugely enterprise value boosting. So I think as hard as it is, it's probably the biggest investment you can make, which is to have good values and stick to them. Yes, I love that, and I've I've seen that experience myself. I've got two companies. The first one I invested a ton in on culture, and I have like a COO who's just rocking it, and. The second company, I kind of was like, tried to be more hands off. I didn't have the same person and the culture was horrible and we experienced all this turnover. And it's just like, wow, like that culture matters. And it was like, it just, this was actually came to a head this past break when at our uh, holiday, our final call before the holidays, the one team, everybody dresses up in red and takes a picture on Zoom together and like holiday <laughs> stuff. And the other one's just like this boring kind of terrible end of the year call. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, man, like it really makes a difference. Like it Huge really difference. does. And like what your yeah. people do to you and like how long yeah. they stay around, the heart they yeah. put into it. Exactly. Exactly. It's amazing. And and uh, we live in an information economy where uh, we're obviously everybody is an information-based company, but pushing the frontiers of whatever it is that we're doing. And, you know, it's uh, people and what they bring to their jobs is such a huge thing. We just don't want their skills. We want the entire human being in the job. And uh, it makes a huge difference. And I, honestly, you know, sometimes it feels like magic when it works because I've seen it not working and, and I've not been able to fix it before. So <laughs> I, I treasure it when it's working. I'm like, oh, my God, somebody's looking up, uh, looking after us here. Yeah. I love it. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on here, Madan. If uh, someone wants to find out more about you or Measured or anything online, what's the place, best place to go to find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Measured.com is the website. You can go look us up. And if you want to reach out to us, probably the best way to do that. My LinkedIn profile is pretty active. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Probably best place to find me personally. But uh, Jake, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it. And uh, best wishes to you. Sounds good. Thanks, Madan. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.